Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of PTBC Podcast. My name is Slava, and I'm joined by Sarush. Hey, everyone. On this week's episode, we have a very prominent figure in the physiotherapy world, Dr. Bahram Jam. He is the founder and director of APTE, Advanced Physical Therapy Education Institute, which provides postgraduate orthopedic physiotherapy courses. Bahram has delivered over 1,000 postgrad orthopedic courses in Canada and all over the globe as a chief instructor. This really speaks to the work ethic of this man. Dr. Jam still practices clinically, and that's good news for his patients, given his excellent therapeutic alliance and extensive educational background. He obtained his bachelor's diploma from U of T, followed by a master's in manipulative physical therapy in Australia, and later completed his doctorate in science in physical therapy in the USA. Additionally, Dr. Jam is a fellow of the Canadian Academy of Manipulative Therapy, has a Canadian diploma of advanced manual and manipulative physiotherapy, and He's credentialed with the McKenzie Institute International. Fun fact about Bahram, he loves Spongebob and is not afraid to use examples from there in his courses. All right, it's time to get down to business. Bahram, how are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic. It's awesome to have you. We're really excited. So going right into the first question, uh, we know that you have a wealth of knowledge clinically and also from an academic perspective in physiotherapy. Uh, but we wanted to know what motivated to what motivated you to start Apte, and what's the main purpose that you're aiming to achieve with this company. So what motivated me for Apte goes back to what motivated me to teach in the first place. So when I first graduated back in 1992, the first course I ever did was my McKenzie Part A course, mm-hmm. and the instructor just spewed out research study here and there. I absolutely loved it. I thought he was my ultimate hero, this this instructor. Because in the meantime, I had done some orthopedic courses where they don't spew out research studies. They just say, do a PIVM because we do it. (laughs) And I would question this stuff in school. But I liked the McKenzie because they were so evidence-based, even though there wasn't much in 1992, but he was able to find them. So I was like, and, and my ultimate goal used to be that I'll eventually own a clinic. I was listening to this, one of these motivational audio cassettes. Those mm-hmm. were the times when there were cassettes, by the way. You guys don't know what they are. <laughs> we're the floppy disk. Yeah, right. So there, there was a cassette. And this cassette, when I was listening to it, he said, there it was a lady, and I don't know who it was. She said, if you had millions of dollars in the bank, $10 million in the bank, what job would you pay money to do? Mm-hmm. Right? You wouldn't pay for it. And I would say, if I had all this money, I wouldn't actually pay money to be a clinic owner. Because mm-hmm. being a clinic owner, so much responsibility. you got to hire staff, fire staff. I'm not that interested. Mm-hmm. But I would pay money to have enough knowledge to be able to teach other physiotherapists. Mm-hmm. If I had all the money in the world and I didn't get paid a penny for it, that would be the greatest honor I could do. Right. So then that's when I did all my level courses. My goal was to teach the level courses originally. And so I did all my FCAM stuff. But... For various reasons, I didn't get to teach the Afghan courses like because I was a little bit of a shit disturber, you could say. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with the majority of the stuff being taught mm-hmm. because there's this little thing I like called evidence. <laughs> so that wasn't there and it was contradicting evidence. So I say, you know what? I think I'm going to teach my own shit. Mm-hmm. 
So that's when I made Apti and there's nobody to oversee me to say, you must teach to X, Y, and Z and don't teach. Even the McKenzie instructors, I felt their hands were tied because they had to teach exact concepts in the curriculum. So I said, you know what? I just want to take the best of everything and put it in my own curriculum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I did it. That's how Apti happened. Hmm. Now, so, I mean, although you decided not to go through to the clinic owner roots, uh, you have essentially built a business and an institution, and it is a very well-known institution. At least I actually heard about Aptide before I knew about you. So clearly this is something that is out there that a lot of people know about and a lot of people know you. So what have you been able to do and how have you been able to make Aptide, uh stand out from all the other physiotherapy courses and all the other institutions and types of uh, teachings uh, or methods? Uh, how do you make Aptide stand out? Well, after the Advanced Physical Therapy Education Institute, right. I wanted to have an education institute status so it would be beneficial from a tax point of view, mm-hmm. meaning I'm a registered private educational institution with the government of Canada. Mm-hmm. It is. That means you don't pay taxes on the course and I don't charge taxes mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. So because it's for the purpose of continuing education right. courses. So if you do course at a community center, you have to pay taxes on your judo lessons or your mm-hmm. basket weaving. But you don't pay taxes on your courses. And many of the conferences you attend, you pay taxes on it, right. but not for Apti courses. Mm-hmm. So it's an educational institution. One is for that. But I had to go through accreditation system, okay. which I decided to do. Yeah. And I've done it. And I have to get credited mm-hmm. every 10 years or so mm-hmm. that I go through that. And um, I don't know if I stand out because I'm happy to be on par with other educational Sessions. I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, I endorse so much people to do mulligan courses, for example. Jack Miller is an instructor in mulligan course. So I endorse that. I endorse McKenzie courses mm-hmm. a lot. I endorse, I don't know, acupuncture courses through any associations mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's happened gradually. It wasn't my intent to make appetite. It was just a, I needed a place where I could do my teaching, which I'm so passionate about. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started. Yeah. And um, you've mentioned uh, how you started APTE and um, how you went under a certain taxation form and we touched on some business aspects of the Institute. So we just wanted to ask you, what's your main business model to provide these courses to physiotherapists? Yeah, I don't have a business model. That is a challenge. <laughs> the truth is... Um, I, I am not a businessman by any stretch of the imagination. I've never done a business course. I, if you ask me how much my income is, I can honestly say, I don't know. How much do I make money in a course? I don't calculate what was my expense, my flight, books, blah, blah, blah. How much did I spend on advertising? I really have no clue. If you ask me today seeing patients, how much did I make money seeing patients? I literally have no idea. Right. <laughs> or how much I make this week. So I'm not a financial guy. In the end, I give my summary to my bookkeeper guy who does it for me. I know they say that you shouldn't be ignorant of your costs. All I know is I live below my means. Mm-hmm. So I'm not under debt. Mm-hmm. I don't spend more money. And really, it's not the business or the finances that drive me. It never has. Whether for good or bad, mm-hmm. it's just not. Mm-hmm. My passion for helping patients and Passing on what I've learned from other physiotherapists, other courses, to as many physios as I can. It really drives me. And it seems like the business model has worked, but I'm 100% sure it's not to its full potential. 
mm-hmm. because that hasn't been my focus. Okay. So. <laughs> so it does seem like, yeah, I mean, based on what you're saying, your passion has really been the fuel of making this institution great. And although, like you said, you did it to kind of focus on the business side of it, the business side kind of came with it. Now, do you have any plans um, in the future to scale this kind of type of institution even larger and, you know, uh, create a massive organization that might start to teach internationally going across all different countries? Um, I don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. Other people have approached me. Right. Like, for example, there's another physiotherapist who did all my courses, went through my diploma program, and he instituted it in India. Oh, so he mm-hmm. taught the course. So I gave him full access to everything. Okay, to teach right. the courses because if you can because i'm i've been invited to other countries to teach it for right. example like in india or iran to go to right right i just can't travel that much right <laughs> and sense. so and if other people are willing to do it teach the content that i'm teaching i'm over the moon mm-hmm. and the truth is i've even calculated how much money do i want to make for people doing it at this moment it was completely free i was just happy for them to have access to all my content right right to do it it's just not what motivates me no i don't trademark anything i don't copyright anything mm-hmm. for good or bad because i want because everything i've learned is from other people mm-hmm. so i want to pass the message on if it's a benefit i want as many healthcare providers to learn it as possible so they can pass it on to as many patients as possible mm-hmm. Right. So from what we're seeing generally, it seems like you're very passionate about uh, what you're doing and the fact that you want to pass all that knowledge and evidence um, since you teach very evidence-based courses onto clinicians so that they drive the industry of physiotherapy in the right direction. Am I kind of getting at the right uh, idea? I pretty much have no other ulterior motive. Perfect. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) We've come across, we've been in the social media world and we've been socializing with a lot of different individuals recently. And it seems like that's the kind of uh, direction that a lot of individuals want to take. And um, some of them are struggling with these concepts a little bit on how to execute that uh, direction of changing the physiotherapy for the better. So we're just wondering, what have been your challenges with uh, starting APTE and um, any solutions that you've made to overcome those challenges? Yeah. First of all, it has to be slow. Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, when I first started teaching courses, whatever, I started to teach um, in services at clinics, right? Without mm-hmm. two people or three people. Right. And my first gig that was outside of Ontario, Toronto was in Nova Scotia. I went in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. I had four people register. I was over the moon to go to Nova Scotia to teach a course, yeah. meaning, but even though it was complete financial loss, I lost money by the time I rented a car, flight, hotel yeah. stay there, the tuition. but I didn't care. I was so happy right. to just go there and pass on the information mm-hmm. that I did. Um, th- so the challenge was, so you have to take the financial loss when you begin anything. Mm -hmm. And I had to decide if I want to really commit to teaching, I have to work less hours Mm -hmm. as a clinician because it's really hard to work full time and then on the side do teaching. You can, but you get burnt out. And I didn't want to get burnt out. So I decided, it's been over 20 years, that I decided I'm going to work part time seeing patients. Mm -hmm. So eventually I work three days a week, then two days a week. Now I do one and a half Mm -hmm. days a week. So because the rest of it I've committed to uh, learning, taking courses, reading papers and articles, mm-hmm. and then teaching it. Because I fully appreciate it when you work full time or a full day, the last thing you want to do when you come home 
is read an article or organize a course because you're full, you're exhausted. So uh, the challenge was cutting back and taking the financial loss of not working and looking at more long-term in the future years. So I'm going to say it took several years. I don't know exactly when it was where I actually made money Mm -hmm. (laughs) from teaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for the many years, I didn't make any money. I lost money, in fact. Right. I I advertised my Aptoid reports. I would send out my reports free to 10,000 physiotherapists across Canada. That was Mm $10,000 out of pocket. But I did it because I had, oh, there's a new study on transverses abdominis. Right, right. And I did it at a financial loss. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think, when will I make that money back? Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did it. Of course, it worked out in the end because yeah. I just kept persisting. I didn't have to persist as in a hard work persisting. I just kept persisting with my passion. Mm-hmm. So you think that that was, you know, without actually looking at trying to analyze the business you just put yourself out there put your passion out there and let it let that kind of drive the business correct because i knew it's not going to happen in the short term Mm -hmm. so i know a lot of instructors because i'm happy to help anyone instruct Mm -hmm. anybody approaches me baron i want to teach how can i do it i say i will help you i will guide you i will support Mm -hmm. you in everything and i've had many people i've supported them Mm -hmm. most quick Mm-hmm. don't do it because they realize well I didn't make much money I worked so hard at it and I'll make more money seeing XYZ number of patients so and that's that's fine so it means the passion of teaching wasn't quite there okay. if finances is your motivation to teach courses I don't think you're going to last long mm-hmm. some courses you'll make money some courses you'll lose money and you should teach with the same passion irrespective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting so you know, it seems like you're a very busy guy. You know, you have this institution, you have clinical hours, you treat at Athletes Care, um, you do a lot of different guest appearances, you, you do a lot of different talks. Again, you're teaching people, you're helping people. Um, how have you been able to balance this, at least this business or this institution with your clinic and with your personal life? Yeah, most important thing is personal life. Right. So I have... <laughs> My wife, three girls, mm-hmm. they're all older now, but mm-hmm. they're in their 20s now. Mm-hmm. So um, my focus has always been my family. Right. So whether it's the teach. So for example, if somebody invited me to teach a course somewhere in a weekend, if it fell on my kids' birthdays, I'd say, sorry, I can't. Mm-hmm. Even though I would lose thousands of dollars in teaching, right. it doesn't matter. Right. Well, I don't care if I make it up or another day. So um, I balance that it's called the big rock phenomenon. Where pretend you have a basket and you got to put rocks, big mm-hmm. rocks, medium rocks, sand in there. Oh, yes. You got to put the big rocks in there first. You yeah. can't, yeah. and the sand at the end. Yeah. So my big rocks is, is my family. And then the next big rock is my teaching, I would mm-hmm. say that I do. And then it would be patient care. Mm-hmm. So something's got to be little rocks. So my patient care is what I cut back the most on. Mm-hmm. That's why I do about, I don't know what it is, 10 to 15 hours a week. Mm-hmm. of seeing patients okay. and when I get really busy I cut back on that my patients get upset because they have to wait three months to see me right. I can't do everything. <laughs> anything everything yeah so I, I'm not going to tell my kids oh I'm not going to go to your dance recital I'm not going to go to your play no mm-hmm. I've never canceled on my kids family man I, first anything. clinician second yeah mm-hmm. okay. never. yeah family man first 
instructor second, second. Clinician, clinician third. third. <laughs> the reason I still see patients because I'm not doing it for the income because mm-hmm. many patients I see complimentary if they can't afford it mm-hmm. is because I my philosophy is I don't think I should be teaching if I'm not practicing it because mm-hmm. then especially when new concepts come along I got to put them into practice because mm-hmm. let me tell you what really peeved me off in school when the professors would teach stuff from textbooks or in the level courses things they had never done mm-hmm. it was purely teaching it from a textbook mm-hmm. this is not reality mm-hmm. I'm afraid most of the McGee textbook I don't apply even though I had to memorize every single friggin' test in there. <laughs> that, that hers, those are Bible. <laughs> I know. With all due respect to David McGee, yeah. amazing person. Yeah. But clinically, we just can't do the stuff that's in there. It's mm-hmm. not clinically feasible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's uh, really refreshing <laughs> to see uh, your take on life because most people approach it from the money perspective, right? And once they get to a certain level of money, they kind of neglect their family and then <laughs> they realize too late that it's um, should have been the other way around. But mm-hmm. you really took it from the ground up, right? You mm-hmm. put your most important rocks in there, the family, mm-hmm. being an instructor. You took your passion for teaching and really drove the courses and uh, really escalated them became very credible and one of the most uh, renowned people in physiotherapy um, in our field. Um, We're just wondering, um, what are the habits that really drive your success? And is there a particular set routine that you follow or you kind of uh, uh, improvise on the spot? No, I can honestly say I can't think of a habit. I just don't. I I would say it's improvise on the spot. if I could say if you do, if I do X, Y, and Z, that's the reason mm-hmm. I do things. Yeah. Right. I'm an early riser. Okay. So mm-hmm. I have nice. a rule of not getting up with an alarm clock unless I have a flight to catch at 4 a.m. or something. Right. So my typical wake up time is 5 to 6 a.m. Whenever mm-hmm. that is. Because the odd time when I have to wake up with an alarm clock, I find ex- I'm exhausted because it's interrupted me mid sleep. It's not natural. Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. not natural. I just want to wake up naturally. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm, the average amount of sleep I get is six hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. And nice. I know they say you should be seven or eight, but I function fine. Mm-hmm. So if I have daytime sleepiness, then I say, okay. So that's my first habit. Mm-hmm. Not wake up tired. Mm-hmm. Second, don't listen to the news. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't listen to current events. Okay. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Read a good book. Mm-hmm. Watch TED Talks. Yeah. Watch, you know, I do some audio programs or, mm-hmm. you know, Nice. Tech talk podcasts are my favorite things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, radio mm-hmm. th- th- things. Things you'll learn from because that's what my brain will absorb as a sponge. Mm-hmm. I do my few minutes of yoga stuff. That's mm-hmm. my thing. I have my cup of water. I don't know if that's a habit. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not coming to work, I'll go for a 10 minute run. Nice. That's it. <laughs> 10 minutes, no longer. Okay. Just to get my heart rushing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I'll figure out, improvise on the day what I'm going to do. I really don't. I'm quite an improviser. Like, I don't mm-hmm. have a daily list of things to do. If my daughter says, if when they were young, you want to go to Wonderland today? Yeah, let's not go to school. Let's go to Wonderland. They didn't go to school. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't plan it in advance. Oh, man. That's exciting, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, my kids know me as a crazy dad. I was an embarrassing dad. I went to all their school trips. Because I was like the only dad that would go on school trips. They said, don't you work? I said, yeah, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> because my works were on, work was on the weekends if I was teaching. Yeah. And the yeah. clinic things, I just wouldn't do. Work. Right, right. <laughs> nice. So I don't have a habit. It's more based on improv. 
right. impulsiveness. But you do have that little morning routine yes. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than that, it's all Im- improvised on the spot. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, after meeting you a few times, you know, come to one of your seminars, come to a couple of your talks, and just overall seeing you present and, you know, seeing you teach. And, um, you know, you're an amazing teacher and an amazing presenter. Thank you. And no problem. (laughs) And uh, we just wanted to learn uh, or understand how you've been able to hone in on these skills over time. Because obviously, you know, people aren't born with amazing presentation skills, amazing teaching skills, right? It's not, it's something that's learned. So how, what have you done to try to perfect this craft? I learned from other instructors, Mm -hmm. good and the bad ones the most. Yeah. <laughs> and I decided to do actually a course on adult education. I can say I'm probably one of the few people who does adult education, meaning teaching postgrad courses, right. that has done a course in teaching. Mm-hmm. I Too often I saw in university people who had PhDs but had no ability to teach. Mm-hmm. So whether it was statistics, it was physiology or some of the physio courses, just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean you can teach it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to make a confession. I know, I don't know any more than other physiotherapists do. Mm-hmm. I just don't. There's so many instructors who know way more than I do. They're clinicians who are much smarter than I am. Right. I think one advantage I have over them, if they wanted to teach, is I've done adult education course mm-hmm. and how to train mm-hmm. uh, adults. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as things as when somebody asks a question in class. Right. Like I had an instructor I will not name. When they asked postgraduate course, when the person asked the question, she would say, what kind of a question is that? You should know the answer. I already said it once. Mm-hmm. And you demean the student. It's like, this is adult education. You don't say that. Even in kids, you don't say that. Yeah. So that's just, so I have a rule. Whenever anyone asks a question, a physiotherapist in a class, I say, that's an excellent question. Thanks for asking it. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure other people, and just put them on a pedestal. Oh, I said, you're so smart for asking that question. Mm-hmm. You're thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. And and then the next time, they're not hesitant about asking a question. Mm-hmm. Second thing, another person will, is more likely to ask a question in the class versus if I shut them down. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when another thing in adult education is when I answer it, I don't answer just that person because then you shut out the rest of the class. Yeah. So you step back, face the entire class. You don't have to. And then talk to the rest of the class instead of it being one to one answer. Mm-hmm. It's these little things, then the whole class feels like I'm bored because they're just answering that person. And if mm-hmm. I see a person asking too many questions, I just wrap it up really quickly mm-hmm. with politely, right. <laughs> you know, not to give. So these are the little things. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that you kind of <laughs> mentioned these because, you know, although you say that you haven't, you know, purposely looked at some of the skills to improve the business. Yes. You've naturally kind of implemented some of the things that we've learned from other people. We've learned from books, like mm-hmm. the whole putting people on a pedestal when they talk to you and they ask questions. That's, uh, that's one of the strategies we've seen, um, businesses or we've read in books that talk about, you know, doing that for your clients or your customers makes them feel appreciated, you know, makes, make them, that strengthens that, uh, that what we call therapeutic alliance, that, uh, client business relationship. So you've been, you've been doing all this kind of naturally. And, uh, you know, it sounds like to me, one of the reasons why Aptai has grown so well was because I guess whoever got their foot in the door and came to one of your courses, they loved the experience and the fact that you've worked on your 
teaching skills and you've been able to present the information well to these individuals, um, that's one of the reasons why I guess they tell their friends and it kind of just the word of mouth thing spreads by itself. So you didn't even have to <laughs> actually yeah. do anything in terms of like getting a, making a business plan that's perfected or you just kind of did things to help you targeted the people and like Slava and I have, you know, talked to other people and other um, individuals in our profession. We are in the business of people, right? And you put the people first. And that kind of has driven the business side of the institution without any other external influence or any other business related tool. Is that fair to say? Yes. My goal is, and your goal is to make people feel good. Absolutely. So I can say, unfortunately, vast majority of the manual therapy courses I took I felt stupider coming out than going in. Mm -hmm. I was made to feel like a complete incompetent physiotherapist. Mm -hmm. I will never be a good physiotherapist. I felt like I was letting my patients down after every course I did because I couldn't feel C5-6 left rotation pivots. Mm -hmm. Unless you can feel that, then you're an incompetent physiotherapist. When I would declare, I can't feel shit. Mm -hmm. They said, well, you will one day. You're just not feeling it. Or... L5, S1, left side flexion, hypermobility, or stress testing the superior fibers of the iliolumbar ligament. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, now I know it was all bullshit mm-hmm. that I was, they were trying to make me feel bad about not feeling because nobody can feel it. Mm-hmm. And even if they could, there's no reliability or validity to it. But I was made to feel bad as were other colleagues of mine. Now when I teach the courses, when people say, well, I want you to do whatever, flex the knee and do this mobilization technique, I say, are my hands in the right place? I say, how do you feel? Good? Ah, it's in the right place. <laughs> my favorite line is, it just doesn't matter how you do it, the manual skills. <laughs> it's irrelevant. But I was made to feel you have to do this precise thing or else you're not a good physio. I mean, if, if, a, if a physio is ever harming a patient at a risk of, then I would say, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that has yet to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't teach C1-2 manipulation, so <laughs> everything else is, is safe. For sure. So I don't really correct students. Oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Now, it's only for the base of their comfort okay. that I would correct body mechanics. Not that to say, if you move it this way, it's better than if you move it slightly this way. Mm-hmm. It's all nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're not going to remember what you told them anyways. Mm-hmm. And it, show me one study that shows those small nuances make a difference. In the patient's outcome mm-hmm. it doesn't so i might as well make students feel good mm-hmm. and the more co- let me tell you what does make a difference in the patient outcomes the level of confidence that they feel and the level of confidence the patient feels when they put their hands on a patient mm-hmm. right makes sense. that makes all this so i want them to feel confident when they leave my courses mm-hmm. i do my best to do that mm-hmm. right so since we started talking about students and some of the ways that you teach you you've given us a couple of um uh, important points on what's important to do for students to learn well. I just wanted to ask your take on the university programs, the master's programs right now, and how they're being taught and what you think is done well and what's not done so well, so that the students come out either prepared or unprepared, in your opinion, after the master's program. I can't make a detailed comments because I'm going to plead ignorance mm-hmm. because I haven't gone through the programs. So I don't know what is taught. I know this, the focus that is so much on academics to enter the program, it's probably not good. Mm-hmm. Meaning because I've heard people who have 95% average and they have a master's in biochemistry. 
they'll get into physiotherapy program. But does that mean that they can talk to a parent of a cerebral palsy child? Mm -hmm. That they can talk to a patient who's crying because of the chronic pain that I have three people cry to me yesterday, Mm -hmm. a patient. Or they can talk to a senior who's at a fall and be empathetic just because you got 95%. Or are they the person that can be innovative, that can question the things they learned in school? Mm -hmm. Just because it's taught in school doesn't make it right. If... I was to apply for the physiotherapy program today, there's no way in hell I would get into any program. My grades were not good. I'm not an academic person. Mm -hmm. In fact, I failed in university like four of my courses. I had to do remedial exams just because I didn't want to learn or accept shit they taught me Mm -hmm. that I didn't believe in that I said, there's no way that's true. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't do it. (laughs) And that was bad. Mm -hmm. So what's been my... Strength, I'm going to say, is I'm okay to think outside the box mm-hmm. and question the norm that's taught. I don't even care if they have a PhD because now we know in hindsight the vast majority of people who got their PhDs and stuff were wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was good at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, my, when I'm a perfect example is my ultimate heroes in physiotherapy, Peter O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. His PhD was on core stabilization. Mm-hmm. I'm proving multifidus, transversus. He got published in the journal Spine the most reputable journal. He taught us at the university, you know, when I was in Australia and I admire him so much. Follow up 10 years later, he says, I was completely wrong. (laughs) He does. He's done a 180. All that core shit I taught was wrong. Mm -hmm. People benefit from exercises, but not for the reasons that we thought they did. Mm -hmm. It was the non-specific benefits of exercise. Mm -hmm. All those isolating left multifidus, transverses. Again, I taught those too. I was wrong. And I'm okay to say I was wrong. But it seems like in university, they don't say they're wrong. It has to be the way it is. Mm -hmm. And when I questioned it, it was not. So I think people who do very well in academics may be the type that are really good at reading and memorizing and repeating what the prof wants them to hear. Not questioning the authority. I think that's a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to quote Gwen Jong. Gwendolyn Joel, she's a professor at University of Queensland. She was. She was my mentor when I was there, one of my ultimate heroes. And she, her quote was this. Is she said, university is dangerous ground when you have academics teaching clinical skills mm-hmm. or clinical work. Mm-hmm. And because it's a master's program, you've got academics teaching and they must have a PhD. Mm-hmm. doesn't make them good clinicians. And I know they haven't seen patients in years or decades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's dangerous. Definitely. And uh, some of the points you made are definitely valid. So if we were to, let's say, change the things that the matters are right now. So, for example, for us to go to U of T or any other program, we had to send a personal letter and show our academics and some of the extracurricular activities and the fact that we've displayed some experiences prior in um, physiotherapy clinics or helping volunteer in hospitals and things like that. Uh, do you think it would make sense to create an interview type scenario for admitting students into school to tease out some of those therapeutic alliance uh, qualities? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think an interview process like they do medical school is essential. Mm-hmm. What if they don't have the ability to communicate? They're not good. They're like, you know, they can't talk. It, it has to be there. Mm-hmm. The other thing I they need to evaluate their ability to be creative Guess what? The vast majority of things we do on our patients 
are nowhere in an article or in a textbook to be found. Mm-hmm. We have to come up with it on the spot and be creative. They should do questioning like they do probably before they hire somebody in Google. They would ask them, what would you do if you were stuck in a blender? How would you get out? Yeah. And have them come up with an answer or stupid things. Mm-hmm. If you were an animal, you know, what would it be and yeah. why? Or, you know, I would want to be an elephant. Whatever. Creative things. Mm-hmm. Too much focus on this academics, I think it's destroying because healthcare. I mean, all the focus, for example, on academics has in no way been a benefit of people with persistent pain. Mm-hmm. You know, the focus. What has been of where we're doing 180 now, We're saying, oh, it's our empathy. It's our understanding of pain, making patients feel better, confidence. Mm -hmm. But learning about facet joint gliding and disc bulges and nerve axonal transport stuff has done nothing to help those patients Mm -hmm. with persistent pain. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I mean, you'd be happy to know, and at least from what I saw a little bit in some of our curriculum at UT, there was some changes in terms of adding new research into our lectures and kind of telling us about, for example, if we're being taught about manips, what's the reason? Like, why why are we manipping? Is it, you know, like the previous school of thought was you get the mechanical uh, benefit, now it's neurophysiological mostly, etc. So, I mean, there has been definitely a shift. So hopefully the shift continues and we've definitely seen also a shift to uh, more emphasis on these soft skills that you're also mentioning that Fantastic. you know it's mm-hmm. so it's, it's good that that is happening um I'm, I, i can only speak about what we've been seeing at uft um yeah. i'm sure that the shift is happening in other schools as well um i have no doubt um yeah it's really great to kind of hear that you know you also believe in like certain type of personalities and how those can influence patient care is definitely something that I think should definitely be implement, implemented in the uh, interview process because, you know, like you said, you never know how the person can act just based on some, you know, hard, cold facts about the grades, etc. Creativity should be at least as equal value mm-hmm. as your academics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, like I, my personal opinion is like there should be a level of academics as well as a level of creativity, like you're saying, because I think if they both play together, then you have this amazing clinician that will flourish out of school and just do some great things. And not that those who don't have like the perfect balance won't be great clinicians. I think it's something that everyone can develop. But yeah, definitely would be a, a great mix. Now, um, I'm going to do a little bit of a 180 myself here yes. and, go, and um, ask a question about marketing. So, yes. you know, I, I've, I've noticed uh, a lot of individuals have, you know, tried to develop. Uh, they, they, they also have the passion for teaching. They want to start their own institutions, teach their own courses. Um, you know, what are some things that you've done to market your courses for Aptai? And what are some ways you recommend to individuals who are trying to create similar courses who want to also advertise their courses? Well, what I did was I made my Aptai report. Aptai mm-hmm. report was, uh, the first one I wrote was 1998, I think. Mm-hmm. So almost 20 years ago then. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a two-page thing where I summarized studies. I said, oh, new muscle we discovered, transversus abdominis. I remember writing about it because it was so (laughs) exciting at the time. Mm -hmm. And various things, oh, foot pronation is irrelevant. You know, that's when I first studied because we used to think being flat feet, you were doomed for life. Mm -hmm. And I like writing about controversial things that question our typical beliefs that we we had. So I wrote that appetite report and I mailed it out maybe once or twice a year 
there's a whole 10,000 physios on the list. I would buy the mailing labels mm-hmm. from CPA. I would put them on with my father and my family. We'd sit there, put the stickers on the label, put the stamps on them. I would print them out and put them in an envelope and send it out. So, and that was how I marketed myself and the mm-hmm. course if I was going to uh, teach it. So the after reports, now I charge for it. Mm-hmm. Nominal. It's $35 a year. Mm-hmm. Still have a thousand subscribers, not 10,000. Right. And I do do a mail out still, even though it's so old fashioned. Yeah. The reason I do a mail out, people tell me they can read it on the toilet. <laughs> they have the paper yeah. version of it because mm-hmm. online we're so inundated with information on emails and stuff. It's reached a point now when you get something in the mail, it's like unique. Yeah. yeah. This Before is true. it was yeah, everything you got true. in the mail was we got too much junk mail. Yeah. Now yeah. you're all excited running through the mailbox like Ooh, if you if got <laughs> wonder what's the mail. in there. Yeah. So I know I need to be doing more online stuff. I just don't do Facebook. Uh-huh. I know I should. I need a media marketing a 19 year old to guide me through it. <laughs> and you know Twitter. Yeah, I have I don't know 13, 1400 followers on Twitter, yeah. but I rarely post stuff. Right. right. <laughs> And yeah. I need to do more of that, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, from a standpoint of view of marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't have Snap, but not to, Instagram. That's my yeah. latest thing I need to have. Yeah. <laughs> I just won't know what to post on it. Yeah. <laughs> so just some again, videos of yourself. So you know, I need a 19 year old again. With the media arts to help me through that. But mm-hmm. the main reason I haven't done that stuff is time. It mm-hmm. takes time to be on social media because you got to read other people's social media in order to do your own. Mm-hmm. When you ask me how do you balance yourself, I know it's so easy to get tied down and look at thousands of social medias that are out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone's tweets, everyone's Facebook accounts, and professional, and they're all good. That's the thing. Right. But you have to accept I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I have to choose, you know, go for a walk with my wife or be on Twitter, I'll go for a walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. My sanity would be better. So is that something you recommend for individuals, the subscription type of model to get attraction to the Well, I did it through the paper route because I started in 1998. Right. Right. As of now, I think it's, yeah, it is the social media. Mm -hmm. And, but there's nothing better for longevity than the word of mouth. Because even social media, it dies after a while. Mm -hmm. So you got to keep doing it. It's the word of mouth of one person, the next person, and the next person. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the only way I get patients. I'm seeing patients. It's purely word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. That I have my months of waiting list. It's because I don't have doctors referring, nor do I want. When doctors refer, I say, oh no, see another physio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Do you do anything at the end of the courses that helps with this word of mouth mar- uh, marketing? No. And that is a flaw <laughs> that I have. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I've done courses on marketing. Don't get me wrong. Just because, yeah, you need to market. Mm-hmm. And typically at the end of a course, you say, now that you've done course, if you do the next three courses, I'll give $300 discount mm-hmm. for this course. Yes. I don't give discounts on any of my courses First of all, my course fee tuitions are lower than every other mm-hmm. average postgraduate courses. So finances can't be. And I feel like if I gave a discount, it would cheapen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like okay. 20% off. Yeah. And I really don't have problems filling my courses. So I don't really need to give it. And some mm-hmm. student asked me, is there a discount? I said, the truth is the tuition is lower than all other courses out there, comparable courses. Right. And no, there isn't. Just because mm-hmm. I have given students who are haven't graduated yet 50% discount 
Mm-hmm. But I don't encourage new grads, not new grads, people who are students to do my courses. Mm-hmm. Just because you're getting ready for your national exam. Yes. And my courses do nothing to help you with your national exam. Mm-hmm. In fact, they would make it worse. Right. <laughs> because I debunk everything you have to do yeah. for your national exam mm-hmm. to pass. Right. So in that scenario, I've given it, I, I've given discounts if they really want to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, it's not something I promote and say, oh, students, you should, Come and do my course so I have you in my hands. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you graduate later, you'll do my courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's the wrong mentality I have that if I market too much, say, do my course, do my course, then I'm cheapening it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm advertising like Walmart would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like to be like Tesla. <laughs> you know how much Tesla spends on marketing? No. Zero. Zero dollars. Oh. GM yeah. spends millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. All the other car companies, million. Tesla? Mm-hmm. Zero dollars on marketing, and they have a waiting list of so cars the, people want to buy. You're the Tesla of the physical I don't institutions. So. I don't. I wouldn't <laughs> put myself on that pedestal. But I like to live by that same analogy. That yeah, I don't. I need mm-hmm. to minimize my marketing. Right. Well, there are definitely a couple of things that you really do well with your marketing. One is uh, the fact that you provide value up front to the people, right? So you did those mail outs for the Aptai reports, and you also. Uh, provide certain a lot more value with your courses for the amount that they're worth right so you said they're cheaper than regular market ones and also another thing that you do really well is that you've built up your brand because um Sarush has heard about Aptai even before he heard about your name but also as a uh, professor or as a person who teaches you really stand out and people are very I'm not a professor Okay. Instructor, teacher. Yes. Perfect. So you did, you really did those things well. And that these are some of the things we learned in books on marketing as well. So seems like naturally you've brought a lot of things together that uh, they teach in books, but you're doing in life and uh, it works out for you. The next question we had is specifically about the books. <laughs> we were wondering if there's been a particular uh, influential book for you that really changed your mindset about life or about business. And if you could recommend one for us. Yeah. I'm glad you're not asking me what's the best physiotherapy book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't think there is such thing. Because whatever book I will say, it's outdated now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's why textbooks are so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, but with life, uh, there's, I, I love reading. I love, you can call it um, self-help books, but mm-hmm. I don't like that word. Yeah. Let's call it we help. Mm-hmm. I love reading psychology books. I love reading the brain. That's my most fascination. Mm-hmm. You know, the the power of influence and belief, blah, blah. But the, the, one of the more popular books is the one I just read last year is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm-hmm. So I know the t- title sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but it's quite relevant to everyone's life. And especially it validated how I treat my patients with persistent pain. Is that The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck is simply about in life, you got to pick and choose. We choose what we should give a fuck about. Mm-hmm. If you feel you got to give a fuck about everything, then you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Right? That's basically the gist of it. Yeah. And we feel empowered. The most content people, the most successful people are the ones who feel like they choose the things in their life. Mm-hmm. What to care about. So, and then choose not to care about those other things that aren't as important. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be a conscious choice. Right. So people say, oh, Byron, you must work very hard. Yeah, I, I'm going to say the thing I work the hardest at is that not working hard. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to work hard. Mm-hmm. I could easily work 40 hours a week seeing patients and fill my day with patients 
and you know, have a full caseload and teach on the weekends, I'd make so much more money. Mm-hmm. I'd make, I don't know, four times more money, <laughs> at least three times more money. Yeah. Then I'd say, so what? <laughs> I, I don't, mm-hmm. isn't the money won't motivate me. It right, just, right. I don't give a fuck about that. Many people do. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a house. Mm-hmm. I have, I go on vacations. I have food on the table. <laughs> I wear clothes. Good to hear. <laughs> I, wear, I wear clothes and my family eats and mm-hmm. we're all good. Yeah. So more of it is not what motivates us. So I've decided what to give caring about is my family, right. the teaching, mm-hmm. irrespective of how much money I make teaching it. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing my patients, just not too many patients because mm-hmm. I get, I feel like I get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. So I work hard at not working hard. Figure out what things can I take out of my life. You work right. smart. Mm-hmm. Like not work, yeah. you work hard, you work smart. So you make, pick and choose, like you said. Pick and choose. The right. subtle art of giving a, not giving a fuck. So you got to yeah. figure out. It's easy to give a fuck about everything. Yeah. The hard part is not giving, yeah. caring about things that aren't important to you. You're like an external thalamus just... Yes. <laughs> only include some of the things that are coming in, not all the things. You have to. Or else you get inundated yeah. with everything. No, it makes and sense. And I've decided, you know, I, I can't have Facebook. Yeah. It's just mm. too much. There's a reason your brain has a thalamus, right? It does the yeah. exact same thing. It's just on the inside. It's on the inside, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right, Bahram, it's been a great uh, podcast uh, today. It's really uh, amazing to just see the passion, uh, you know, come out. And it's obvious that, you know, you love what you do. You're doing it all because of that internal drive. And you, you're trying to, you have all your, you know, you haven't lost sight of all the important things in your life with all this, you know, uh, Aptai becoming large, you become a prominent figure in physiotherapy. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to see, uh, individuals like yourself, uh, out there just passion itself it's just we can feel it just sitting in the room Mm -hmm. so (laughs) really appreciate you coming out and uh, our last question before we wrap up we just want to ask you where our listeners can find you on social media you did mention twitter and yes and instagram jam yeah (laughs) that's my twitter and i have all the articles i've written which are freely available on my website aptai.ca okay a-p-t-e-i okay so i got so many articles one of them Mm -hmm. more popular one is uh, questioning motion palpation mm-hmm. that's one and I got questioning static stretching because mm-hmm. I try to go against that mm-hmm. questioning NSAIDs okay. question, after acute soft tissue injuries questioning ice mm-hmm. it's such a big myth right, yeah. <laughs> after I have my rants on that I have articles on mindfulness meditation which mm-hmm. I endorse a lot mm-hmm. yeah. so and why chronic pain exists for people after motor vehicle accidents if right. they are not at fault Mm-hmm. how that happens yes. because it's never at fault people so all these articles are there yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and on a side note you want to know what i did last night yeah that was my big rock yeah i invited my nephew over and we watched an hour and a half of spongebob yes. <laughs> just the episodes that. or the movie no the episodes no. the movie i've seen many times yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice that one. was my big rock yesterday nice. well, well, with my nephew an hour and a half because my kids are growing up they don't stay with me anymore <laughs> you gotta force they, don't, they don't like Spongebob anymore right? they do but yeah. they won't say it with me yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's uh, truly been amazing to talk to you uh, the main fact that like Surush and I love is the fact that you're so consistent in everything that you do you have the big rocks the smaller rocks and you really stick to your uh, life values and uh, everything is consistent right and also the fact that you have so much passion about the, um, the clinical side of things and the teaching it's uh, we really need a lot more 
instructors like you, not professors, <laughs> instructors <laughs> like you out there. And uh, we also really enjoyed your courses as well. So thank you so much for uh, coming on to the podcast and we really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure. Yeah, I you admire so you guys for taking initiative to start podcasts. That's like, <laughs> it's beyond my knowledge and <laughs> comprehension. So fantastic, guys. <laughs> thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. We'll thank see you. you soon. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.